Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. So overwhelmed by that testimony. All I could hear was flood of love. I think that's a t-shirt, Shonda. We need to work on that. Flood of love. Shonda's here, I think. Where are you, Shonda? Stand up a minute. All right. You are, you are now a video star. <laughs> Whoa, I tell you, um, uh, every Sunday when I come, I work on my messages, I wait in the presence of the Lord, I cry out for the anointing and all that stuff that you do when you're going to be speaking publicly. And, um, but I always, during worship, look for indicators of what I'm speaking on. I, I, I like that confirmation. I like that. And, you know, it could be a song. It could be something someone says. But I tell you, what Shonda shared is exactly what I want to talk about today, which really encouraged me right to the verse out of John chapter 13 uh, about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. How about this? How about if God wants to wash you? And, you know, Peter complained a little bit about Jesus because it was a servant role washing his feet. And, uh, and when Jesus responded to him, then Peter said, well, wash, wash all of me, wash my hands, wash my head. He understood that this is a practice of the divine, that God likes to clean the stuff off of you that's gathered through the week. And in ancient times, it was footwear. They're wearing sandals, dirty, grimy, dusty streets. You go into someone's house, first thing they would offer to do, would be a little pan there by the door, is wash your feet. The host would come and wash your feet so that you could walk on their nice new carpet or whatever it is. They didn't have new carpet, but anyway, uh, getting them in. And it's, it, Jesus did it because basically, Jesus is the word, right? We know that from John chapter one. It's a picture of what we have up here, the water of the word or the washing of the word of God, that when we come on Sunday mornings, this is so important, and I I forget it myself. I have to remind myself periodically, that's why I'm here. It's why I'm here. I love the communion of the saints. I was reading a book this morning early about uh, first century Christianity. It's a book I go to all the time. I just love it because I love to know what it was like in that first century, you know, but the community of the saints was sacred. The community of the saints was something, as people gathered together, there was something powerful about the enjoyment of the followers of Jesus. Literally the enjoyment of being with them. Some of us have personalities who go in a room like, oh, I hope no one talks to me. I hope I don't make eye contact with anyone. Keep your head down, kid. Just walk in. Let's get to the street. You know, get to the seats. And it's like, I just want to go there. I want to be here. I know I need to be a part of a church, so here I am. I'm sure that's no one here, but I've heard other churches have those kind of people. (laughs) Right, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, they do. But in this church, we would be a people that go, I'm going to enjoy God through his people. In his presence, corporately. Otherwise, we just do it at home. Set ourselves up a little closet and have church there every week. Technically, it's not church, but you are a part of the church and you'd be worshiping, but the church is a gathering of believers. It's called out corporate village of people. 
The Celts of the fifth century called it the colonies of heaven. I love that. I've always loved that. Planting a colony of heaven. In other words, the, a, a, a place, a people, and a thing that happens that is like heaven on earth. That the power of heaven is coming to earth. So we gather together. Many different forms, young adults, you know, children. By the way, we need children. So we, we always do. We're, we, need, we have a need of people that sense that they want to minister into the next generation. And that can pass a background check. And uh, if you have those two things, you can be involved in children's ministry. We need you. It doesn't have to be every week. You can sign up for once a month or something like that, but we need you. Uh, especially next Sunday, some holidays, we have greater need because people that have been serving in there want to be a part of uh, the regular service, and it's your chance to lay down your life. Cindy and I are already volunteering, and Cindy said, what about if it's a Sunday you're speaking and someone doesn't show up? I said, well, Jay's going to have to get up and speak. I'm going to go serve in children's ministry. So if you, if you want to be a part of that, you can sign up online, right, Cindy? Go to BethelCleveland.com. You can sign up, be a part of, be a hero, help us out. Let's, let's serve this next generation that needs it desperately. People are trying to put, put uh, 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 I better not say that anyway. Uh, might, might be a little political. They're, uh, I mean, they're, they're governing, training, and teaching our children at a very early age. And if, if the family influence is not there, they will be overwhelmed. And I'm not sure that you can go too far on inculcating the very nature and culture of God in heaven into a child's heart. And it is your responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility. They're your children. And you need to train them. People go, you know, well, I want to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, do not depart from it. And then we get puzzled because they depart from it. And I said, well, I tell people, I go, how did you raise them? And everything. But they said, well, I, you know, I, we came to church and, you know, I, I sent them to school or whatever. And I'm telling you, the culture is strong right now. It kind of always is. It will influence them out. You have to give large amounts of time into your children. I'll talk about it next week on Father's Day. But in order to raise up children that will go in the way that they will not depart from. And so the church body helps that, the church itself. So I want to talk a few minutes about why the Word of God is so important. Actually, I'm going to talk about this for probably about 10 weeks, uh, and that thus the series, The Water of the Word, that the Word of God is meant to wash us, to cleanse us. Did we take up the offering? Okay. How did I miss that? I'm having some old man stuff going on up here. Forgot my microphone. Who are you, actually? I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm guest speaker somewhere, you know? This is really amazing. Um, the washing of the Word of God has been such a big part of my life. I mean, <laughs> and when I speak of the Word of God, obviously I'm speaking in a primary sense of the Bible. I think the Bible, you know, let me say something that sounds like an old man thing, but I'll say it anyway. Since technology came, we've quit bringing our Bibles to church. I have. I bring this one periodically. It's kind of worn out, but I like it. I got a little soul, soul tied to it, you know? And uh, I've got notes in here and stuff that I like to read. And, and so it's a, it's a connection for me. I love it. 
even though I don't really open it that much, even during the week or on Sunday, because I use the computer all the time. I use my phone or whatever. But what the problem is, is people quit bringing their Bibles, and, and although that's like, well, so what? We've got it on our phone. There was something that has been missed in the cultural shift from technology or from, from hard, hardback books to, um, to technology, to online or whatever, however you get it. In fact, uh, probably because of my age, I have more difficult time reading on a screen than I do in a book. I'm tactile. I need this something in front of me that I hold and I can write in. I know you can do all that on, online or on, on uh, whatever program you might want to get or app for that. But it's just, it's just a thing. Just forgive me for, for being that age. But I, I just like that. But there's something of ownership, feel, touch that is really very important. And so if you can, over these next few months, these next 10 weeks, bring a physical Bible other than your phone and feel the difference of it. And some will do it, some won't. It's fine. It's not an order. It's a recommendation. But feel as you see, you feel, you touch, and you hear there's something very powerful as you connect it with faith on your life. So I want to talk about it because I feel in the church at large in America, I'm not talking about America right now because we don't have authority in that realm. We have authority in this realm, this little place called Bethel Cleveland. But in Bethel Cleveland, sometimes we do not know the Word of God the way we need to know it. And the only, thing, only way we will really survive and thrive in the days ahead is by knowing the Word of God. So let's get reacquainted with it. I'm going to go on, uh, on into the Scripture here, and I will occasionally use my physical Bible here, uh, but I also have it written down on my iPad. So here's a little overview of the Word of God. And by the way, we're not, we're not just talking, and when I say just, I'm not speaking in disrespect to the Bible. I went to Bible school, <laughs> seven years, you know, so I, I, I understand that. But I also believe the word of God that is spoken to us in many ways that will not depart from what we know in the word of God, but will accentuate what we know in the word of God. Jesus, I was reading this morning uh, how many times when he was uh, approaching the cross or on the cross, he did something in the Bible has said in order to fulfill what was written. It says it several times. That, that even the piercing of his side happened in order to fulfill what was written. Did you know that the, the rolling the dice over his clothing, to take his clothing, because it was so, it was priceless. It was, it was very, it was, it, it was not your typical rabbi shepherd clothing. Uh, they split it up in four parts, according to John. And, uh, and it said, in accordance with what was written. And then his tunic, which was seamless, think about that. He wore a seamless tunic, which was not cheap. And they said, we can't divide that up. And so they, they basically made a choice and gambled for it as what was written in Scripture, it says in the book of John. You see a lot of that around the cross. Jesus was actually line for line fulfilling something that was in the word of God. That is why I believe even today in our lives, a lot of what we do, a lot of what we accomplish is in fulfillment of what Jesus said New Testament believers would do. We pray for the sick because that's what we're told to do in scripture. It said that a generation would come, and it says that at the end of Mark and, and Matthew, 
It says that a generation would come that would heal the sick, that would raise the dead. I mean, we are that people and have been for 2,000 years now. And so we attend to the words and life of Jesus Christ through Scripture in order to know him better and to do what he's called us to do because it pleases God, and I want to please God. So the Word of God refers to the Torah. You know, Torah actually could be the first five books of the Old Testament. What we know is the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But in a broader sense, it means the entire Old Testament, the Torah, the, the books of history, the, the Pentateuch, the, uh, the Psalms, the wisdom writings, the prophets. It includes all of it. And Jesus only had that. He had the Torah. He didn't have the New Testament. hadn't been written yet. And so, but that was his word. And he, he knew it well. He knew it so well that when he encountered the devil defaultly, it flowed out of him. He knew it so well that repetitiously on the cross, out of Psalm 22, he quotes verbatim on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I mean, it's, it's scripture. Scripture came out of him in his most difficult moment. I'd have been up there saying, help me, get me off of this thing, angels. I mean, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have. But he knew it was not written in the words that that would happen. He was walking a script, the mixture of God and man that had been written by God and was being lived out in the God-man, Jesus Christ, so that every one of us could dot all of our I's and uh, dot all of our I's, cross all of our T's, and say, Jesus was the second Adam. Jesus laid out a lot. The first Adam kind of blew it. He had everything and kind of got, he's kind of the prodigal in some ways. And then was removed from the garden, he and his wife Eve. But the second Adam, Jesus comes and takes a run at it again with the help of heaven behind him and says, you can do the same thing because we are hidden in Christ Jesus. So when you refer to the word, it's the Torah. It's also later on includes the New Testament, the Gospels, the Epistles, book of Revelation, and so forth, uh, the various letters that are there. Jesus is the word, according to John 1. So you refer to the word, you can be referring to Jesus very easily. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. That's why it's capitalized in your Bible. It could refer to the Bible, this little book that we hold on to, this, this thing that was canonized by a group of people who pulled it all together and said, this is the word of God, which was affirmed and confirmed over the hundreds of years since then, and then communication from heaven, dreams, signs, prophetic words. We believe in the word of God. They need to be tested according to scripture. But I believe that God has empowered us to speak words that are creative. I listened to a young guy this morning <laughs> telling why a certain song that we sing here actually uh, is heretical. And I listened to it. I thought, I want to listen to this. I want to see you. I've been singing heresy. I'd like to know that, you know. And and so I heard through it, and I thought, wait, wait a minute, okay, the reason he's saying that is because he believes that, that believers are not given authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and all the various things that have happened. And so the, it was the, actually the, the part of the song that says, when I open up my mouth, you remember that one? Yeah. Miracles come pouring out, is that what it says? Breaking out, a miracle start breaking out. He, he didn't like that phrase. That's one of my favorite phrases. Heresy. Who would have known? 
But see, the thing that keeps me on track is I know scripture. These things you shall do and more. So I want to get into the more. What's more than raising the dead? So does everyone raise up? The, no, 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 no. But we need to keep practicing. We pray for the sick. We believe for healing. I want to be a part of a church that believes for healing. When I had cancer, I didn't want to be in a church that's like, oh, this is the Lord teaching you to suffer. That's not, well, it's working. I mean, I believe in the sufferings of Christ, and I believe we enter into the sufferings of Christ, but what I see in Scripture is the sufferings of Christ is being, is being harassed and persecuted for uh, something you didn't do or something you did did that is scriptural. And if we can last long enough and things don't change, being a Christian will be a hate crime in America. Just give it some time. It's working its way down that river. So what's needed is a pushback. A pushback that's not some political thing. I mean, you can do that if you want. But a pushback in the spirit of prayer and understanding and wisdom that's coming out of some very interesting people. I mean, when you've got some of the greatest spokesmen in our age being people like Jordan Peterson. Well, I'm not even saying these people are Christians. I am not the judge. I'm just telling you they're, they're standing in some levels of truth to push back. They are not perfect people. Don't email me this week about blah, blah. Did you hear that this person said, I've heard it, I know it. I'm just telling you that God will use Christians in the end time. He will also use other people that are friendly to what Christians believe, but may not actually follow that. But you get Jordan Peterson, amazing psychologist, watch his stuff, it's worth watching. It'll make you smarter. Uh, 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 Prager, what's his first name? Uh, Dennis, yeah, of course. Dennis Prager, Jewish man. He is a stalwart in standing in the middle of the river of culture and pushing back and saying, not on my watch. But you've got to learn language. You've got to learn scripture. You've got to understand how to rightly defend yourself. You do that through the word of God. I think another one would be Elon Musk. Elon Musk, I think, uh, is going through some kind of a transformation. So rather than disagreeing with certain things he says, which you could easily do, I'm praying for him. And I've been praying for another one too. For years, corporately, we've prayed for Justin Bieber. We prayed over and over. If you remember about 10 years ago, I was bringing it up because he was a former emerging worship leader and then got involved in popular music and, and he's had his challenges down the road. But right now, actually right now, we need to pray for him. He's going through a physical paralysis of his face and uh, he's, he's wanting prayer. And he said, I'm believing God. I'm believing God for a miracle. Justin, someone recently was at one of his concert, uh, concerts. He preached the gospel. He's not a perfect guy. You could probably go and find some stuff about him, just like you. You could find some stuff about him. It's not real pretty. But I thought, well, who are these people? These are people that are merging in culture. Merging in culture to join in with, some of them with the corporate church worldwide, but some of them just, I mean, in Dennis Prager's uh, case, he says, I'm, a, I'm a, a Jew, but I appreciate what Christians stand for. And so he partners with them. Yeah. And so there's people out there, you need to understand, they are, they, they, are, they are apart, but not exactly with where you are, but let's celebrate them. Yeah. And let's believe that God's word is coming forth in so many different ways. 
Cindy and I watched a movie. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It did have a few swear words in it. Uh, but uh, we watched a movie recently, and it was, it was about a man who uh, was really uh, tied a little bit too tight. Do you know what that means? And we, yeah, he's wound a little bit too tight. Thank you, my editor in the front row is helping me out. We wound up too tight. You ever met anyone like that? Sometimes you look in a mirror and we, you know, we see him. He's wound up a little bit tight culturally. And from the country he was from is a, is a country that's pretty wound up. I mean, there are countries that are like really tight. There are other countries that are a little too loose. And so he came from a country that was really tight. He went to a country that was very loose in order to do some business dealings, and the impact of that culture touched him. And you know, we watched it. I mean, I got, it, it was kind of, I think to the average person, it'd be a boring movie. It was kind of a romance movie, and it kind of dragged on. It was a little long, but it was, you know, it, it was something we watched on, uh, on a particular network. And uh, uh, when we finished watching it, it affected us emotionally. In fact, God's been speaking, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this, but God's been speaking to me through that movie ever since. It was probably a week ago. Different parts of it. Even Cindy. Cindy said, remember when they said, blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah. And she goes, you know, what do you think of this? And so we're having a good time kind of dissecting it afterwards. What is that? It is the word of God. Is it through righteous people? Not necessarily. Is it through a righteous movie? Not necessarily. Do you know God will speak in every situation? <laughs> the Bible says if you descend in hell, there he is. <laughs> That's a tough scripture. I mean, he's everywhere. He shows up in amazing ways. Yesterday, I'll talk about this in a minute. Let's go to scripture. In Luke chapter four, it says this, and the devil said to him, Jesus, during the temptation, if you are the son of God, command the stones to become bread. Remember, that's one of the three temptations. Hey, you're hungry, 40 days, you haven't eaten. Turn one of these stones into bread. Guess what? He could have done it. But here's his response. Jesus answered him and said, it is written. Man does not live by or is sustained by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, God, God's word is like bread. God's word is bread. God feeds you and God strengthens you. This Bible that we adore, I love Graham Cook. Remember before he preaches, he kisses his Bible. You ever see him do that? He just goes like that. Then he opens up the word and everyone's freaked out by it. Is that idolatry? Is that bibliolatry? Worshiping your Bible? No, it's a respect to the preciousness of the word of God. Maybe we should all do that. Kiss your phone before we go any farther. <laughs> Least phones aren't an idol. Latest statistics says you touch your phone 2,000 times a day. Yeah, but that's all right. So this Bible that we have was written over a 1,500-year period in three languages on three continents. Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It was a wildly popular verbal language, Aramaic, and probably what Jesus spoke, except times when he wanted to speak Greek or Hebrew. Best-selling book. Currently, it sells 20 million copies a year in the U.S. alone. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, pretty popular. 66 books in the Bible, 600,000 words in there. My last book was 52,000. I had 65 and they made me put the book on a diet. 
So I had to come back and cut out 15,000 words. Do you know how hard that was? 15,000 words. 52,000 is what it was. It was still overweight, but they said, let's go with it anyway. This book has 600,000 words, 185 songs in the Bible, 40 writers, most of which did not know one another, shepherds, warriors, kings, tax collectors, physician, fisherman, tent maker, etc. different classes, different stratus of society, all harmonizes into one 1,500 written over 1,500 years and been in existence for thousands of years, a book that no matter where you go under whatever author, you're getting the same understanding of who God is. That in itself is one of the greatest miracles of all time. It harmonizes the view of God and the intent of heaven. Historically, powerfully, it's been used. We depended on oral tradition for a long time, people passing down the, the things that happened uh, in the time of the Pentateuch and the travelings and the movements of Israel. Eventually, Moses wrote the first five books of the Torah, of the Bible, the ones that I mentioned earlier, the Pentateuch, uh, in order to be able to teach and preach. But even then, only priests and people who could read and understand were able to have copies of scrolls to be able to look at. And then something happened in the 14s and 1500s. I love that period of time. It's at the end of one of the most epic, epic difficulties in human history, which was from 500 AD at the collapse of, uh, it's, it's earlier than that, but let's say 500 AD, the collapse of Rome and what was Western civilization to the emergence of a, a new Roman Empire in the Middle Ages as people built, built churches, built towns. The church was at the center of every town. Don't judge that. They were expressing that God was at the center of everything they did, the Catholic Church at that time. And at that time, the church had become very corrupt. And so a, a, a revival came shaped in different ways so every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is important in our lives. But a revival emerged to basically get this word into every person's hand. So you didn't have to go to a priest to figure out who God was. Because who knows what he's going to tell you. You might say, God wants you to give all your money to the church. And out of obedience, that is a priest, you trust them. You give all your money to the church. That may not be what God was saying. Could be. And if it is, you need to do that, but probably not. You know. So you look in Scripture, and it's like, wow, God's using the Word of God. You look at history, he's using the Word of God. So finally, the Renaissance breaks out, which is a, it's got two edges to it. One was good, one was bad. Modernism came, which was okay, except, uh, except uh, uh, the thinking that came out, uh, relativism and just the, the uh, kind of moving away, more problem-solving scientific thing as opposed to spiritual understanding. It wasn't all bad, but there was some bad in it, some nefarious people that were behind that in some ways. So you had this renaissance, which means rebirth, that was taking place in the 14 and 1500s, opening the minds, particularly, of the Western world, which is what influenced America the most. The beginning of modernity, the opening of minds. And then what happens is, in, in 1420 which is 602 years ago. 602 years ago, this thing came out called the printing press, Gutenberg. First thing he printed was the Bible. So what happened was, 
Bible has been cranked out. It's getting in more and more people and people are starting to open up the Word of God. Those who could read, they open up the Word of God and they're, wow, wait a minute, that's not what they're teaching at church. What is this all about? Priests were freaking out. It's not meant for the average person to have the Word of God. You need an interpreter. You need to, hey, 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 over here, over here. You need an interpreter to tell you what God is like. He's kind of like me. They started reading things like, wait, the joy of the Lord? I didn't know you could be joyful. I thought you had to, all the paintings that have been painted through the Middle Ages, you can tell exactly when the revival starts to hit art. I just came back from Italy. I can tell you. When Michelangelo says he'd become possessed of the Holy Spirit and sculpt for three days at a time without sleep or eating. Furiously, he's trying, he said, I saw an angel in the granite. He was imprisoned in the granite. I set him free. And you look at the angel that he set free and you're like, it's pretty good. 27-year-old guy. When he came up to the David, he'd had, I think there'd been five other people that tried to carve out the David and got frustrated because of the type of granite that it was. And so they authorized a 27-year-old guy named Michelangelo to come in there. And when you see the David, I mean, he was so brilliant. He made his hands slightly larger because it would be 80 feet up in the air at the top of a cathedral. And so perspective-wise, his hands had to be a little larger or they would have looked very small compared to the rest of his body. But they never got it up to where it was supposed to be. So when you look at it, his hands are a little bit bigger. And when you look at the smooth, I mean, the, the... the amazing thing about the sculptor, I mean, a lot of people are captivated because it's a naked man. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> Cindy did linger there quite a while. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that a long time, but. <laughs> I have picture proof of it. I'm gonna use it down the road someday if we have any difficulty. So you have this emergence of awareness. And the pictures, I mean, pre-Renaissance, all the pictures of Jesus, Mary, and the whole family are like this. Their necks are always bent. And little children had faces of, of men and women. They didn't like doing baby faces. So Jesus is there practically with a beard. I mean, he's just born. I mean, it's like, what, what is what, and no animals, and just key people, a few people that had a lot of money and contributed sometimes got into the painting. So they were first century characters. The Medicis were big on that. You know, they had a lot of money. They contributed. So, hey, could you get my brother Leo into the picture, you know? And, oh, okay, you know, one of the disciples, Leo. We'll put him in there. And so you see these people, like, they'll go show a picture, and they'll go, there's the Medicis right there, you know, they paid for the paintings, so they got into it. So, uh, but anyway, when the Renaissance hits, there's joy. When the Renaissance hits, heads are up. When the Renaissance hits, there's depth. The way they did it prior to the Renaissance is the farthest thing away was at the top of the picture. Medium distance was in the middle of the picture, and things up close were at the bottom. Generally, that's how it was. In the Renaissance, it goes straight out. Because now when you are awakened, 
which they were being awakened by the word of God, been awakened by a spirit of death that had hung over the Western world for hundreds of years, the, the, the grief that was still upon them and the collapse of one of the greatest civilizations ever, the Roman Empire, all of that was in their history, even though it was 800 years back. So many of them died. The average age, I think, was 32 in middle, middle age times. So most of us are past that. You'd have died already. Well, what happened was the renaissance of science and thought and enjoyment. Florence, Italy was captured by it and became evangelism, evangelists of freedom all over the Western world. And at that time, people started dreaming big again. I'm going to go to the city of God across the great sea. They're talking about America. We're going to go to a place they thought was China. We're going to get in boats. So all the, I mean, from Marco Polo, who's one of the originals, Marco Polo to Christopher Columbus, who came out of Italy but got sponsored by Spain. It's a long story. And they, they finally get over here. And, and, of course, as we know, in American history, brought slavery and dread and hatred to America. Not really. But anyway, that's what we hear now. That's the new history. We have innocent people that are just trying to reach out into the world God gave them and did some stupid stuff. And, uh, and as a result, was taken by others. So what happened? It was people looking beyond themselves, people expanding to the nations, all because of the word of God. Because when Gutenberg got this printing press going, all of a sudden, cranking them out, cranking them out, cranking them out. This is in the 1420s. He got a lot of trouble, by the way. He got sued, lost his company. It was, it was horrible. But then in 1517, out of that experience of the word of God now being in the hands of people like this, woo, I can now read on my own what Jesus said. And when they did that, it struck a man who was a Catholic priest named Martin Luther. Martin Luther got this thing from reading the word of God. This is now like, you know, uh, well, shoot, it's like 90 years later. This is the old world, so it takes time for everything to circulate around. 90 years later, it hits Gutenberg, or hits uh, Martin Luther, and Martin Luther begins to speak that the just shall live by faith. Where did he get that? Just a little revelation he got while he's sleeping? No, he got it from the Word of God. The Word of God now is awakening people and has continued to awaken people for 600 years. Why? We have access to the Word of God. How precious is this? How precious is this book that for thousands of years people just had to hear some oral tradition or look at a few scrolls or hear someone that was more intelligent determine and interpret what this was. But now we have the word of God in our hands and the word of God, it washes over our soul. That was my message for today that I didn't get to. <laughs> but come next week and the week after and Shonda and I will get this point down really good. Then it washes over your soul. It's like the flood. And we're just like, oh, yeah, my Bible, I probably should read a few verses. What century are you from? 21st century. Well, if you're in the 5th century, you're devouring this thing. If you're in the 15th century, you're devouring this thing. If you're in the 18th century, you're telling everyone about it because you have found life in the word of God as it spoke. And even what's been going on in your life, and I'll finish with this. My key verse, I'm not getting a chance to read, but I will in Middleburg probably. Jesus said this in John 15. This is the very spirit of Christ to wash 
over your souls. And this is one of the things he selected to cleanse your soul. You know what it means? The stuff that you've acquired during the week, the difficulties and the challenges. We come together corporately. You can do this all week long by yourself, but there's something about a corporate anointing that when you come and hear from a guy like me that you hopefully, hopefully trust, my mic just went out, hopefully trust that I'm going to speak from the Word of God. I'm going to do it with an open hand. I'm not going to say, thus says the Lord. I'm going to say, this is what God's speaking. Check it out for yourselves. And you go in the Word of God and you verify and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. The nature of God is he's not mad. He's not angry like medieval drawings. But actually, he's come forth. That's why the chosen is such a conflict for people's hearts. Because the chosen actually, actually depicts what I believe Jesus to be like. That the kids loved him. The religious did not like him. That he flowed around and had fun with the disciples. That he made little toys for children. That when he came, there was joy that came into the city, not like the religious judge has just arrived at the door. And that when he died, it was such deep despair because of all men, of all men that are alive today, why would Jesus die? He did not deserve it, you know. They understood, they saw it. If they saw the chosen, now they'd go, that is an amazing depiction. He didn't quite look like that guy, but hey, it's amazing. I mean, there's so many things about the chosen I love. One of my favorites, which I mentioned before, is when Jesus and the disciples are going into a little hotel, basically, a B&B of the first century. And the lady says, oh, we're so glad to have you. Come on in. You remember that scene? And she goes, watch out for the room upstairs, though. It's, it's, it's got a, a uh, what you say, a, a spirit attached to it. And Jesus says, I'll take that room. It's one of my favorite quotes of chosen. I thought, that sounds like Jesus. Don't worry, disciples, I'll take that room. The one with the devil in it. <laughs> Cast him out, he might come into your room. No, it's not like that. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. So you got this corporate uh, trinity working on your connection with God. Listen to this really quick. It's very important. I should have said this 15 minutes ago. Every branch in me does not bear fruit. He is taken away. We kind of alluded to this a little bit last week. There are people that will fall away because they do not bear fruit. I'll talk about that more in the days ahead. You take them away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. I love this about God. He either cuts you off or cuts you down. Well, that's not my God's nature. When you're, you, you following Jesus? This is Jesus talking. He says, you don't bear fruit. He takes you away, but if you bear fruit, he's going to trim you, weed whack you, chainsaw you. I don't know. But he's going to cut branches that do not bear fruit so that you can bear, so that you would bear much more fruit. These are verses you read to people, that's not what the Bible says. It, it, it is. Yeah, but that wasn't Jesus. Is that Paul or something? No, it's Jesus. He's saying, listen, it gets worse. You are already clean or purified because of the word. The word is a cleansing component. The word is meant to come in and prune your life and cleanse you so that you might walk holy before God. It's the purpose of the word. It's one of the reasons we need it. It energizes you, does all kinds of things. I'll preach on it in a week's head. But today we're talking about this. 
It washes over you just like the foot washing. By the way, that just happened two chapters prior to this. It is a picture. Jesus did physically wash his disciples' feet, but as a bigger picture, as was with Jesus, everything he did had greater impact. The impact is, I will be in your life to wash your feet. Well, then, Lord, wash all of me. Okay, you get it from his word. Because he says this, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me. We'll talk about that more in the days ahead. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch. So if anyone does not abide in me, he casts out as a branch. It is withered. Some people wither when they get away from the Lord. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. Some believe that's hellfire. You can look in scripture and see what you think. And they are burnt. Whatever it is, it doesn't sound good. Verse 17, I finish with this. If you abide in me, now listen to this. And my words, all form of communication, whoops, from God, including the Bible. My words abide in you. There's this connection that when you abide in Christ, his words are gonna stick to your soul. It's part of the abiding. I could argue that abiding is being in the word. Part of it's being in the word. And you will ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Ooh, this abiding thing is very powerful. Uh-oh, sermon's over. <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and will be my disciples. So what do we need? Let's all stand together so you know I'm done. It's... Um, the Word of God. I mean, we could wash everyone's feet today and everybody kind of feel either awkward or feel good about it. I got my feet washed today in church. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great action. It's a humbling servant kind of a thing. That's why Jesus did it. But you know what's better? That if you get full of the Word of God by abiding in Jesus and when you come, you wash the souls of one another through the scripture that you speak into their lives. From the first week of this church in 1996, September 13th, I thought it was an odd day to start. It was Friday the 13th. But also found later on after the service that night, right down the street here at the Brunswick Rec Center, after the service that night, someone said, did you realize it was Rosh Hashanah? I said, no, I didn't realize. Yeah, at sunset when the church gathered, it was Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of a new thing. And the fingerprints of God were all over it. I mean, things that I didn't even think of or didn't do, he was already doing because he was crafting something. Let me tell you, this church, I can tell you right now, I know it in my heart. This church is meant to be thousands of people. It is meant to touch tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people. But God's calling us to abide. He's calling us to come in to know His Word because every single person in this room 
is a reflection and a fruit of Gutenberg's great mission to get the Word of God into every person's hand. You have the Word of God. I pray for a desire and a passion for the Word of God to be upon you. I pray, pray it'll grip you. It gripped me. It gripped me about two and a half years ago. You know, I've been kind of a steady studier of the Word of God, but about two and a half years ago, it gripped me like hunger. And if I missed going to the Word of God, I'm not saying this is some, some uh, a dead ritual or evil work of some sort. I just daily, I thought I got to get in the Word of God. I, I need to read Scripture and thank God that technology does pop one up on my phone that I can read. But I have a, I have a book, a daily book I read every day. And if I miss a day, I catch up. Not out of some kind of a, oh, if I'm going to go to heaven, I've got to read my Bible. It's about an obedience to the connection that I have with Jesus Christ. He is the Word. And His words that are spoken want to be stuck and implanted and tattooed on my very soul. So right now, just hold out your hands with palms up. Jerry's coming up, I think, to finish this off. Jerry, we may want to see if there's anyone here that needs Jesus. And, then, and let's, just, uh, let's just pray for impartation. Lord, let the Word of God, let a hunger turned to Cindy this morning during worship and said, Cindy, we need more hunger. We need more hunger. We need breakthrough in our services. I love singing. I love worshiping together, but I want breakthrough in our services. More. That's all I say. You say, was that not good? I go, no, it was great. It was great. I just want more. I want deeper, higher, and wider. <laughs> more. I want more people. I want to have impact. I want the Lord Jesus Christ to become, I know this sounds strange to some people and I'm hesitant to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. That he might be famous in this area. I know Jesus doesn't need to be famous. He is who he is. But I want him to be known in this region where God has called us. That this little place called Brunswick, Bethel, Brunswick, might be a beacon of this entire region in Jesus' name. Amen. Jerry. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com give.